This is Dr. Marty Fried. Dr. Shreya Trivedi. And Dr. Carrie Blum. This is Core IM Five Pearls Podcast brought to you by Clinical Correlations. Bringing you high yield, evidence based pearls. Today, we are talking about proteinuria. A special thank you to Dr. David Goldfarb, a nephrologist at NYU, for peer reviewing this podcast and giving us an excellent recap at the end of this podcast. All right, let's get started with the five questions on the pearls we'll be covering. Test yourself by pausing after each of the five questions. Remember, the more you test yourself, the deeper your learning gains. Pearl one, detection of albumin in urine. How good is a dipstick, urine analysis, and a urine albumin creatinine ratio in detecting albuminuria? Pearl two, transient proteinuria. What are some conditions that lead to transient proteinuria? And then what is the appropriate interval to recheck? And how should it be repeated? Pearl 3. Albuminuria and cardiovascular mortality. Who should be screened for albuminuria and can it prognosticate risks for cardiovascular mortality? Pearl 4. ACE inhibitors and renal outcomes. Does increasing RAS inhibition also improve renal outcomes? And Pearl 5. A throwback question from our prior podcast on iron deficiency anemia to boost spaced repetition. When prescribing oral iron, what tips do you give your patients? So I think before we dive into the content, we should make sure we're all on the same page in terms of uh, terms. (laughs) Yeah, so good point, Carrie. When we talk about proteinuria, we do care about all proteins because the presence of any protein in the urine is abnormal. Albumin, in particular, is indicative of glomerular damage, which is the end result of diabetic and hypertensive nephropathy. So for this podcast, when we talk about proteinuria, we are really referring to albuminuria. It's also way easier to say, which is nice. Yeah, try saying albuminuria 10 times fast, guys. Albuminuria, albuminuria, albuminuria. Okay, yeah. <laughs> let's get back on track, guys. All right, so I had this patient come into clinic for her diabetic follow-up. You know, I knew I wanted to screen her for diabetic nephropathy, but then she started complaining of urinary symptoms. So I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to get a dipstick and a UA for her dysuria. All right, I'll just use that to tell me about the protein in her urine too. Sweet. Killing two birds with one stone. So I see where you're going with that, Shreya. I'm always a fan of efficient medicine, but with screening for proteinuria, particularly albuminuria, it might not be a good idea to cut corners. Agreed, Marty. Let's take a look at several different ways that we can screen for proteinuria, starting with a dipstick, for example. Yeah, it's convenient, but dipsticks will miss a majority of the people with moderately increased albuminuria, which is defined as 30 to 300 milligrams of albumin in the urine per day. Formerly known as microalbuminuria. So the dipstick is really only going to catch the people with severely increased albuminuria, which is greater than 300 milligrams per day. Formerly known as macroalbuminuria. Yikes, that is definitely not good enough. I would like to catch my diabetic patients with any signs of renal disease as soon as possible. Well, what about a UA? Is that a better surrogate for proteinuria screening? You might be better off flipping a coin. The sensitivity for a urinalysis for moderately increased proteinuria is only about 43%, but the specificity is quite good, greater than 95%. So not that great for screening purposes, but if it is positive, that's specific for proteinuria. But it's good to keep in mind that false positives can occur, 
in the setting of recent IV contrast, very alkaline urine, and gross hematuria. The gold standard is a 24-hour urine protein, especially in patients at the extremes of body weight. But the collection is cumbersome and time-consuming. Your best bet is to get a urine-albumin-creatinine ratio. The albumin-creatinine ratio has been shown to be consistent with the 24-hour timed collection. In fact, the urine-albumin-creatinine ratio had a sensitivity of 100% and a specificity of 80% for the diagnosis of microalbuminuria when 24-hour timed urine collection was the reference standard. Good to know. But could I just use the urine-albumin? Why do I need to measure a urine-creatinine also? Right, so we use the urine creatinine to adjust for the concentration of that particular urine sample, which, as you know, can vary throughout the day. That makes perfect sense. My hydration stat is all over the place, usually super concentrated, dark yellow urine when I'm in the hospital running around, and clear yellow when I'm away from the hospital on my off-call day. A little bit TMI here, Shreya. Well, we're all doctors. <laughs> okay, so for our diabetic patient with dysuria symptoms, we're going to get a UA to make sure she doesn't have a UTI. And then once we know it's negative, we're going to get a separate urine albumin creatinine ratio to screen for diabetic nephropathy. I heard it's best to get an early morning urine sample if she can do that. Why is the early morning time favored? Well, to answer that, we really need to understand the concept of orthostatic proteinuria. It's a benign condition in which albuminuria is present when standing, but disappears when supine. So you instruct the patient to void before bed. They go to sleep and then collect the first morning urine void. The idea behind this is that the patient is supine for most of the night, so the possibility of orthostatic proteinuria playing a factor is less likely. This is much more common in the young than the old. The prevalence is approximately 10% in children and declines throughout adulthood, but you should still rule out transient proteinuria in all populations. So that was really hammered home to me when I looked at an NHANES study that compared random urine-albumin-creatinine ratio to the, an early morning sample. Of the people that had a random urine-creatinine-albumin ratio greater or equal to 30 milligrams per gram, only 44% of them actually had a positive urine-albumin-creatinine ratio with their early morning samples. Okay, interesting. But I feel that getting an early morning sample is not always feasible in clinical practice. That's why the Kidney Disease Outcomes and Quality Initiative, or KIDOKI, oh, funny acronym, <laughs> suggests checking a urine-albumin-creatinine ratio in a random sample, and then, if the test is positive, following up and confirming within three months with an early morning sample. Another good reason to recheck for proteinuria is that there are numerous causes of transient proteinuria, strenuous exercise, fever, UTI... Well, I guess it's a good thing that we ruled out a UTI first in our patient before screening for albuminuria. Yep. And if the random urine-albumin-creatinine ratio was positive, but then the repeat one in the morning was negative, then orthostatic proteinuria or other causes of transient proteinuria can be diagnosed. The take-home here is to remember that patients with diabetes and other cardiovascular risk factors can have transient proteinuria. Don't throw an ACE or an ARB at them until you know it's persistent. ACEs and ARBs are only beneficial when applied in the correct population. Okie dokie, gidokie. Okay, so we screen our diabetic patient for a urine creatinine ratio, and it's negative. I'm still going to probably screen her in a year, 
Yeah, that's a good idea because the progression from normal to moderately increased albuminuria is 2% and from moderate to severely increased albuminuria is about 3% annually. Exactly. Screening for albuminuria in diabetics is something I'm pretty good at in my practice and is a regular part of my diabetic management template. But it's not as a knee-jerk of a reflex in other high-risk patients. So it's also indicated for your patients with known CKD. In non-diabetic patients, recommendations for screening are less established, but it's likely to be helpful and cost-effective in patients with hypertension and in the elderly. I'm glad you mentioned the hypertensive patients at risk because JNC actually recommended a UA for detecting proteinuria as a part of routine workup for a new hypertension diagnosis. But as we talked about with Pearl 1, we know a UA is not the best test for this. So JNC-8 corrected that recommendation of a UA and instead endorses a urine albumin creatinine ratio, but says that screening is optional. Okay, nice. So say I check her urine albumin creatinine ratio again in a year and it is positive, indicating true albuminuria. Why do I even care about this? It's really good you asked that because most clinicians see albuminuria and that'll just prompt them to go through the motions of adding an ACE or ARB to prevent progression of this renal disease. But it should also alert providers that this patient is at high risk for cardiovascular mortality. Hippocrates definitely preceded his time and these robust studies because in the BCE times he said, one can obtain considerable information concerning the general health by examining the urine. Is that how he sounded? I kind of pictured him with a Scottish brogue. <laughs> oh, man, guys. Well, that's exactly how this story with urine albumin played out. The 2001 HOPE trial was foundational. The cohort study of over 5,000 patients with at least one cardiovascular risk factor or known cardiovascular disease showed that albuminuria was an independent risk factor for cardiovascular mortality a hazard ratio of 1.9 in our diabetics and 1.6 in our non-diabetics. Okay, so if albuminuria is prognostic for cardiovascular mortality, then why not screen all of our patients for albuminuria? We assess patients for cardiovascular risk factors all the time, right? Hyperlipidemia, smoking, family history, and then we calculate their ASCVD risk score. So should proteinuria belong in this category? So the benefit of adding albuminuria to conventional cardiovascular risk stratification, such as the Framingham risk score, is not conclusive. But clinicians should know albuminuria is a predictor of declining renal function and is independently associated with adverse cardiovascular outcomes. Thus, clinicians need to detect it early, manage it effectively, and reduce concurrent risk factors for cardiovascular disease. Just a quick word from our sponsor. We all want to eat healthier, but let's be honest, between our busy schedule and the endless prep and cleanup, it feels kind of out of our reach. You know, we often are aiming for better nutrition, but end up compromising for quick fixes that are anything but healthy. Now, imagine a different scenario. Picture a day where you're coming home to gourmet, nutritious meals that are ready in just two minutes. With Factors, that is possible. Factors delivers delicious, chef-crafted, dietitian-approved meals right to your door ready to heat in just two minutes, giving you over 35 weekly options to choose from, from calorie smart to protein plus to keto. And don't forget, they have 60 plus add-ons for an extra boost from breakfast to midday bites. So you're not spending all your time and money in the hospital's cafeteria. So no prep, no mess, just real mouthwatering meals tailored to fit your schedule and dietary needs. With fact, you're not just saving time, but you're elevating your meal game without the hassle of cooking. 
Head to factormeals.com slash Coriam50. Use the code Coriam50 to get 50% off. That's the code Coriam50 at factormeals.com slash Coriam50. Okay, so after our diabetic patient screens positive for increased albuminuria, I start her on lisinopril 10 milligrams or losartan 25 milligrams. Don't forget to check her creatinine in two weeks to make sure there isn't a greater than 30% increase. Which I did. Thanks for reminding me, Carrie. And it wasn't. Now that she's on an Acer or ARB, I can check off that box that I've done my job to prevent progression of proteinuria. I'm done, right? Well, not so fast, Buster. <laughs> the optimal renal protective dose has been studied. And if someone's blood pressure and potassium can tolerate, studies show greater inhibition of RAS, the better the outcome. Let's take a look at a multinational, double-blinded, randomized study. This one evaluated herbisartan's effectiveness in delaying diabetic nephropathy. Oh yeah, that's the one that looked at patients who were hypertensive diabetics with persistent microalbuminuria. Right, that one. We'll link the article in the show notes. The higher dose group had significantly less diabetic nephropathy and albuminuria than both lower dose group and placebo. For example, urine albumin excretion decreased by about 40% in the group taking a high dose of the ARB versus a decrease of 25% in the low-dose group and a decrease of only 2% in the placebo over two years. There was also more return to normal urine-albumin ratios in the higher-dose group than either the lower-dose or the placebo. Mm, wow. So that's good to know that the decrease in the amount of proteinuria is dose-responsive, especially since we know the more proteinuria, the worse the cardiovascular mortality. Though... I have definitely seen patients come to the hospital, they're on a low-dose ACE for the proteinuria, have room to up titrate in terms of their blood pressure and potassium, but they've been on the same low-dose ACE for years. Yes, lots of room for improvement. And I guess that's the goal of our podcast, right? Uh, well, I also really like hanging out with you guys. Oh, so that's why you're here a second time around. <laughs> Hopefully we'll have him back for a third. Yeah. That'd Hopefully awesome. we'll see you back, Carrie. Love to. On the Iron Deficiency Podcast, we discuss some tips for helping our patients maximize their benefit from oral iron, or to put it another way, how to help them enhance absorption. I was wondering, have you guys been able to incorporate any of these items into your practice? Yeah, so I definitely used to be in more of the mindset, okay, more iron, faster repletion. But as you taught us, there's this pesky little hepcidin that I forgot about in med school. And this idea that I had is really not the case. I'm glad you mentioned that, Shreya. There was actually a recent study in Lancet Hematology that confirmed this dosing strategy of less frequent iron in 40 non-anemic women with iron deficiency. They compared once daily to twice daily dosing, and they found no difference between fractional or total iron absorption. Yeah, I definitely feel more comfortable now not prescribing iron three times a day and more comfortable with more once a day. I haven't really tried this other every other day dosing, but I'm curious if some of our listeners have and if they've seen some good results in terms of labs or symptoms, let us know. What about you, Marty? Any changes to your practice? Yeah, for sure. I've been more careful about making sure that my patients have the right acid-base environments in their stomach when they take iron. So I've been using this definitely as an opportunity to get patients off their PPI and have been definitely recommend taking their oral iron without food. Great. I'm sure your patients are better off for that. Nah, they're a little bit sour after DCing the omeprazole. Oh, come on, Marty. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. 
<laughs> All right. So let's move on to the take-home points on albuminuria. For that, I'd like to introduce Dr. Goldfarb, who is the Interim Chief of Nephrology at NYU and the Chief of Nephrology at the Manhattan VA. Shreya, I'd like to uh, recap the take-home messages now. Pearl number one was that the urinalysis is really not sensitive for proteinuria. We'd like to do a protein-creatinine ratio because we really want to make up for the fact that urinalysis may be falsely diluted people drinking a lot of water, that can really give you a false negative result. So standardizing the amount of protein in the urine for creatinine is what nephrologists always do. And that gives you a number that is very similar to the 24-hour urine collection, which we're really unlikely to do nowadays. Pearl number two is that transient proteinuria is benign and should be ruled out with a repeat early morning urine sample. Some patients will be able to do take a cup home and give you a first morning urine sample. But if they come in and do it when they first get to the hospital, a second void, that's also okay. Some people have orthostatic proteinuria. It means that they may have more protein when they um, first get out of bed. And people can also have um, protein in the urine as a result of heart failure or fever and other kinds of infections. And so it, it's worth doing repeatedly a few times. It's a relatively inexpensive test and relatively easy to do. So it's important, though, to um, make sure that before you decide that someone has proteinuria, that they really do have it. Pearl number three is that albuminuria is really a risk factor for kidney disease, but it's also a risk factor for other cardiovascular events as well. And although it's really important in diabetic kidney disease, it's something that correlates in all patients with cardiovascular risk. So it's really astoundingly powerful that if you just look at people with normal GFR who have hypertension or have uh, coronary disease, that the amount of protein in the urine correlates strongly with their risk for heart attacks and strokes and other vascular events. It's not really clear whether the protein in the urine simply is a marker for other vascular disease and endothelial dysfunction, or whether perhaps protein in the urine is doing something bad for the kidney, and that badness is somehow then correlated with endovascular events uh, as well. So it's really very important as a risk factor. Pearl number four is about uh, inhibitors of the uh, renin, angiotensin, and ALDO system, or the RAS uh, system. Giving more ACE inhibitors or more angiotensin receptor blockers is generally considered the best way to go. If you've got proteinuria, that's certainly an indication for increasing the doses. Of course, if the blood pressure is high, that's another reason to increase the doses. And if the proteinuria is persistent, we generally will try to increase the dose as long as it's tolerated. You're going to expect some increase in creatinine when you give ACE inhibitors and ARBs, you're lowering blood pressure. That's one reason why the GFR goes down a little bit. A second reason is just because you're leading to dilatation of the efferent arterial and glomerular capillary pressure goes down a little bit. So we consider a successful use of the drug, we'll see some increase in creatinine. In other words, some decrease in glomerular filtration rate. Of course, you have to also be careful about hyperkalemia, which is another uh, risk factor. But we will try to push these drugs in order to make them uh, get to the higher dose lower blood pressure to whatever the target is, I'd say less than 130 in patients with kidney disease nowadays, and reduce proteinuria maximally. All right. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions, please email us at coreimpodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at at coreimpodcast. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at coreimpodcast. 
Opinions expressed in this podcast are our own and do not represent the opinions of NYU or other affiliated institutions. Do not use this podcast for medical advice. Instead, see your own healthcare provider for medical care. All right. Thanks for joining us. See you guys next Wednesday. Take care. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.